Would you turn with me to Psalm 32? We're at the 32nd Psalm, part 2. We were there last week. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus was with Simon and the, a group of Pharisees and disciples, and they were in Simon's house, and in came a scandalous situation, a woman of the city, a great sinner of the city, came in and came to Jesus' feet and with tears kissed his feet, washed his feet, and were overwhelmed, was overwhelmed with a, with a joy and a love for Jesus, this teacher and rabbi. And it was a scandal, and the Pharisees immediately saw this and said, surely you must not be a prophet from God, because if so, you wouldn't allow who you know who's doing this to do that to you and touch you. Jesus didn't talk, respond to the Pharisees, but said to Simon, he said, Simon, I have a question to ask you. If someone, a money lender, lent out a certain amount of money, he gave out 500 or 50 to two different parties, and then he forgave them both of that debt, 550. Now, who of those two would love the money lender who forgave them more? And Simon says, I suppose it was the one who was forgiven more, 500, not 50. And he says, I've been in your home and none of you have treated me with this kind of a devotion like this woman. He looked at the woman and said, your sins are forgiven. And he says, Peter, I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And the point that Jesus was making And then I want to bring to you this morning, as we look at this psalm from another glance in Psalm 32, is that as Bridges says in one of his little books on the gospel, genuine love for Jesus. I mean, I want us to love Jesus. I need to learn to love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? I mean, love him? It comes from an ever-growing consciousness of our sinfulness and our unworthiness, coupled with a great assurance that our sins, however great, are forgiven through the death of the cross. Only love that's founded on both of these foundations can be authentic and permanent. I can't believe how great my sin is. I can't believe how great my sin bearer is, Jesus Christ the righteous, who has loved me. As one other person has noted, friends, our love isn't proportionate to our forgiveness. It's proportionate to our understanding of our forgiveness. Our understanding of how we are forgiven. If you're forgiven, it is amazing what you've been forgiven from. The reality is, 
We need to grow in our understanding of that. Let's look at this text this morning. This text can be divided. I divided it up to you in three sections. And I called it, the first two verses are the bliss. Oh, the bliss of forgiveness. And then in verses 3 through 5, David says, now, see how I got to this bliss, this happiness, this joy. And then in verses 6 through 11, he says, now, now friends, church, take this to heart. Listen up carefully. Let me read this to you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review just very little bit. And I want to bring you to the, the last part of this psalm and apply it to our lives. David says this, oh, may God's spirit Draw us to Christ as we hear these words. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David says, for when I was kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by like the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach you. You are my hiding place. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit or bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the wounds of the wicked. I'm sorry. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We begin in verses 1 and 2 that we see David says, Israel, church, all the bliss of forgiveness that comes from God. And, he's, and, and last week, I wanted to point out to you, this happiness, which I, the word I use, bliss, this happiness cannot be attained to our hearts. This joy, this love, the love of a woman that would come to Jesus and wash his feet with great joy and delight, the lo- that lives a life for God, does not happen until we understand fellowship with God matters more than ever anything. I need to know and walk with and be in right fellowship with God. That's what I was made. And if his face turns away from me, I perish. And my sins are so bad, it keeps me away from his face and from his fellowship. But there is forgiveness that removes that that sin It covers it and brings me fellowship with God. And he uses three words for forgiven. You are forgiven. He says that word forgiven has to do with this idea, your sin has been borne by another 
and like a burden taken off of you and taken on someone else and removed. And he says it's covered. It was in the open, exposed, horrid. And in your, his forgiveness, he covers your sin. And he doesn't count it against you. There was a debt that was weighing upon you and it was counted heavy. You could not pay it. And he no longer counts that debt against you and he alone can make that call. And he says, oh, the bliss of it. We should sing. That's why in the Sunday after Sunday, we are to sing of the glory of the gospel, forgiven, justified. We have a time at the beginning of our service that that Lee, one of our elders, shared with us this morning. That was a, a confession of sins. And we do that every Sunday morning to teach you. It is so important for us to long for fellowship with God, to remind ourselves that that fellowship is found in Jesus Christ and the way in which He invites us to have restored fellowship as Christians is to confess our sins in Jesus' name. And at the end of His prayer, as He confesses our sins and we confess our sins, there should be in all of us rising up, thank you, God, amen, praise be to God. Now David says, Israel, I want you to know there is nothing like it. There is no happiness apart from forgiveness from God. And then as we saw last week in verses 3 through 5, he says, let me tell you a testimony. He doesn't give us the example, the illustration. It might have happened when he was sinning with in his adultery with Bathsheba, it could have been some other sin we don't know. And I think that's okay. I think God didn't want us to know the specifics so that we could apply it to all of our lives in any area of our sin. But he just says in verse 3, I want you to know how I got to this happiness. It didn't start good. Verse 3, he says, I was silent, meaning I kept my sin covered. I didn't confess. I was silent when I should have confessed. And when I stayed silent, when I didn't acknowledge it before God, my bones wasted away, I was groaning all the day long, and reality, I was so miserable, but in verse 4 it says, but God's hand was on me, your hand was heavy on me, and he would say, listen church, when God's hand is heavy on me because of my sin, and listen up this, and I'm miserable, it is a grace from God when I'm miserable. When God's hand is on me, because I'm in sin and I'm not right with God, when it's miserable, praise be to God, because then I realize something is wrong, just like when someone has cancer and there's a pain and they can get help for it. Knowing, the pro knowing that there's a problem and getting help is vital. And then in verse 5 is the turning point. The turn. And I pray that all of us would go, I need verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. He's talking to God. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And here's, here's the result. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And he said that in verses 1 and 2. And in these verses, 
David shows us the the power and the importance, the glory and the gift of confession of sin. Friends, we will sin until the day we die. We will sin against a most holy God who sent His Son to die on the cross for us, and even us who have received the forgiveness and pardon from our sins, we will continue to sin against Him daily, hourly. We are not loving Him with all our heart, with all our soul and our minds. We need a way to deal with that sin. This passage points us to this way. David didn't cover his sin. He, at least, he did at first, and then he didn't. And he says, the turn, the change was when I confessed my sins. Friends, when we cover our sin, our sin remains uncovered in the most important ways. But when we uncover our sin through humble, honest, it takes humility and honesty not making excuses, and we acknowledge it before God, and we confess it before God, it is covered. Gloriously covered. Okay, so as we move to verse 6, that that was kind of a review, maybe a little sprinkled in new stuff. We move into verse 6, and David says, now, therefore. See that word, therefore, at the beginning of verse 6? He's going to now, for the rest of this verse, is saying, therefore, this is what you should do about it. If this is true, that blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, blessed is the woman who has all her transgressions covered, and he doesn't have sin counted against him, and that I acknowledged my sin and confessed and God forgave me, therefore, what ought I to do about it? And he says, therefore... Look with me. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, to God, at the time when he may be found. I want want to give you three things that I believe that this, at least, this text says we should do if these things are true about God's forgiveness to those who confess. Three things. Three things that should make a difference. Number one, don't wait to confess your sin to the Lord. Friends, I plead with you. Teenagers, I urge you. Grandparents, senior saints, I beg of you, do not wait to confess your sins to the Lord. Christians who have already been, I'm going I'm to say this more clearly towards the end of the sermon, Christians who have had your sin covered by the blood of Jesus, when you came to Him in salvation, confess your unconfessed sin to the Lord. Don't just hide it or keep it covered, but take it to the Lord. He says it in verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. Now, what is he doing? He's not changing the subject and saying, now I want to talk to you about a different subject, and that's praying. Praying about your needs in life, praying in prayer, praise, praying about other things. All of those things are important. The prayer that David, I believe, is talking about in verse 6 is he's saying, therefore, let me put it in my own words, therefore, would you heed these words? When you, have unconf- you who have unconfessed sin, 
You who have remained silent, you who have not taken your defiance and sin against God and taken it to Him and acknowledged it and asked Him for forgiveness, offer prayer before it's too late. Offer prayer when it offer prayer of confession when He is before you. And I would say this morning, He is to be found today in your life. You are to listen to Him and heed this. And He is saying, will you confess your sin today to me that you have not yet confessed? And that's the point of verse 9. Verse 9, He says, so don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding. It has to be curbed with a, a bit or a bridle or it won't stay near you. Don't be like I was. I was a mule-headed person in my sin in silence. Oh, how foolish will you learn from me? Don't be so stupid, David would say. And instead, confess your sin to the Lord while he is to be found. And then that phrase, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. And I think there's an, an analogy of Noah's ark. Noah warned of the waters to come and they mocked him and they rejected him and then when the water floodwaters came on the earth it was too late they could not find repentance and confession so isaiah 55 says to us in verses 6 and 7 would you seek the lord sinning israel would you seek the lord church while he may be found call on him while he is near If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The verse before, but if we say we don't have any sin, we're a liar. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What do you have? I, I just want to urge you to go today. We, we pause for just probably too short of time, sometimes only 15, 30 seconds. And it's not a lot enough time for us to sit in our chair and go, God, would you search my heart and would you show me if there is anything that has happened that I am aware of in my attitude, my words, or my actions towards my parents, to my children, to my spouse, to my friends, to my coworkers, in my thoughts, in my actions, in anything that I have displeased you, where I have not loved my neighbor as myself, where I haven't loved you, where I've gossiped and lied. Oh God, would you bring any remembrance of that that I have not already acknowledged to you, asked you for forgiveness, to restore fellowship? Would you please help me to know that? Oh, I could. Friends, I, I'd encourage you today to go this afternoon and confess your sins to the Lord if you haven't. You might be, I might be some, of, some things like this. Have you been unwilling to sacrifice time or inconvenience, or energy for God's sake in others? Have you put stipulations on obedience to God and you try to bargain with Him in your life? Are you unwilling to give up something that God has asked you to give up? Are you ignoring or are you studying God's Word? Have you given yourself to prayer or do you ignore and just put it as something so insignificant and so many other Small things, petty things is more important. Maybe you need to confess anger towards God. You're not accepting God's plan for you, that He's good. You've embraced wrong priorities in life. You've refused to get serious about forsaking a certain sin in your life. You become complacent 
or apathetic, or you don't care about your relationship with God very much at all. You've not trusted God to be the major source of your security or fulfillment or purpose. You disobey human authority. Maybe it's your parents. Honor them. Unwilling to forgive those who offend you and you carry grudges. You're selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-focused. You want to be served rather than serve. And that's how you treat others. You're disdainful, judgmental, negative, and critical. You're responsible or procrastinating. Unwilling to risk rejection for the cause of Christ. Not sharing your faith with others. Not leading your family like you ought to. Not loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Not honoring, respecting, and submitting to your husband. Not working heartily as unto the Lord in the workplace, gossiping, letting unwholesome words come out of your mouth rather than that which is good and beneficial, not trusting in the Lord with all your heart, letting fear choke you, being anxious instead of anxious for nothing, running to other things for security and not, God, I could go on and on. And the blessing is that God forgives us of all of those trespasses. Not one of those comes close to bearing a weight that Jesus doesn't take at the cross and doesn't joyfully receive us into fellowship as we come to Him and say, Oh, please, I acknowledge this sin. It is unworthy of being a Christian. Please forgive me once again. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful to His promise and He will forgive us from all unrighteousness. David is saying to us, don't wait, confess your sins to the Lord. Please take that seriously. Oh, there's, I could stop right now. There's so much for us to apply this sermon. We could go right from there. Remember Psalms, or Proverbs 28, 13. It's a memorizing passage. Whoever conceals his transgression, will not prosper, but he who forsakes, confesses and forsakes, will obtain mercy. Here's the second instruction that I see in the second half of this, this psalm. Not only should you confess right away, don't delay, but run to the Lord for your security and your instruction. Oh, forgiven sinner, Oh, confessing sinner, because if you're a Christian, you're a confessing sinner. That's what we are. We confess our sins. We come to him, and yet he's forgiving us all the time. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ for security and instruction. Look at verse 7. David would have us here. You are, he's praying to God, and we do it in the name of Jesus. You are our hiding place. You are the hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. He is saying, rejoice, look to God, run to Him. He is your security. He is your hiding place. He is your salvation. He is your preserver of your life in trouble. And He brings deliverance. Friends, you and I, have been invited and we have entered into the most secure, the safest place in the universe. 
And that is Colossians 3.3 3, that I, I feel just echoing in that verse. Colossians 3.3, 3, I'm sorry, 2.3 2, says, or 3.3 3 says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You want to know where the safest place to be in the world is to be hidden with Christ in God. That's where he is. David would say, he's your hiding place. He shields you. The condemnation of your guilt would come upon you and destroy you. All your enemies accusing you and pointing their finger at you would be absolutely right and you deserve hell forever. But he is your hiding place. He is the ark in which you entered and the storms of accusation of your sin that should go against you doesn't go against you but protects you because you're declared forgiven in the hiding place of God in Jesus Christ. That is the song of the Christian. That is the courage of the Christian. That's the assurance of the Christian. That's how we live our lives, brothers and sisters. And this psalm says in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Do you need help today? Do you need instruction in what to do in the coming days and weeks? Even as you think about your sin and it weighs you down, but then you're forgiven, and then you're like, well, what path should I do? David says, he will instruct you and guide you and teach you in the way you should go. Now, there's a little confusion in verse 8. Some think it's David speaking and quoting God. It's God that says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And some say it's actually David the psalmist, the king of Israel, writing, saying to the congregation, I'm going to be the wise sage of the kingdom that fears the Lord, and I'm going to continue to instruct you in the word of God. Either way, God instructs us and teaches us in the way we should go, and he does it through leaders who are faithful to the promises in the word of God, and yet God in his Holy Spirit promises to guide us. The psalmist will say in Psalm 25, we've been there before, good and upright is the Lord. He instructs sinners in the way. What a grace. God instructs sinners in the way. Sinners who confess their sins. Sinners who enjoy the freedom of forgiveness. Sinners who have come and their sins aren't counted against them anymore because they're rescued in Him. He guides us. He doesn't guide us so that we would live our selfish, comfort-driven, going-after-my-own-way life. He guides us and directs us as we confess our sins, surrender ourselves to Him, realize there's no joy and satisfaction but in Him, and then we say, Your will be done, now show me that I might obey. Run to Him for salvation through prayer. Do it through prayer. This week, pray. Say, God, please help me. Thank you for forgiving me. Now guide me this week. Direct me. I run to you for my salvation. And humbly cry to God and go to his word. Read the Bible. Listen to the Bible. Hear God's word on Wednesday night in the Bible. Be ready to do what the Bible says and obey it by faith. Now, the last thing I want you to see from this second half of the, of, of the psalm is he doesn't say just confess 
Get to confessing. Pray to God. Don't remain silent. And go to him for rescue and instruction and security. And then he just, I think the end he says, look at verses 10 and 11. He's going to say, beware of two ways. Beware. There's the way of the wicked and there's the way of the righteous. I, I've, I've called you and myself sinners. That's what we are. We are sinners saved by grace. That's what the church is for. If you're here and you're not a Christian yet, you're a sinner not saved by God's grace, and I invite you to be saved by God's grace, and I'm going I'm to speak to that in just a minute here, but if we are Christians here, we're all a bunch of sinners rescued by God, but we're also given the status of righteous or wicked. And he says, beware, there are two ways. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. That's one way. But the steadfast love surrounds not the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We get in this end, he's inviting the church. He's invited the congregation of Israel. He's saying, rise up and worship. Give thanks to God. Let your heart be glad. He is a forgiving God. He covers our iniquity. And in doing so, he's saying the righteous are those who trust. Verse 10. And because they're, and they're forgiven, verses 1 and 2 and Verse 5, because they confess their sins, verse 6, or verse 5, as they follow David's example and instruction in verse 6. Now, I want to ask you to turn to Romans 4. Would you do that? Would you turn to Romans 4, either on your devices or... It'll also be on the screen, but it might be helpful for you to, to look at it with me. Look at verse 4. Do you know that there is, a, there is an inspired interpretation on Psalm 32? So I read commentators, almost every sermon I read, I read a bunch of commentators that speak about Psalm 32. It could be Kidner or some other commentary. I have about five or six that I look at and see what they're going to say. Sometimes I look at study Bibles. I commend you to do that as well. That could be really helpful. But what they say is just their speculation on what the passage means or it implies. They're not inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you an inspired interpretation on Psalm 32 from the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Psalm 34, Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Romans and he's wanting to get through to them. We are not saved by earning our way to God, by earning our salvation or paying for our own sins by obeying the law. We are saved by God's grace alone in Jesus Christ by trusting in Him with empty hands, not with hands that came and said, here's my works, will you accept my works and then save me? You, you do part of it and I do part of it. No, we come with empty hands and we say, I can't do anything. I could never keep the law. And it, but the law shows me how bad I am. Please, I trust in your free gift. And in Romans 4.4, 4, he says, now to the one who works, 
His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. When you got your paycheck this Friday, you don't write your employer and say, thank you so much for that gift. Your employer gave to you what was due you for working. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Who is the one who, un- who justifies the ungodly? God in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be justified as an ungodly person? To be justified as an ungodly person is to be ungodly and wicked, and God go, I declare you, I count you not a sinner, and instead I count you as just and right before me. He says, not to the one who works, verse 5 again, but to the one who believes in the one who justifies the ungodly. So I want to get into this passage and I want to say, do I believe in the one who justifies ungodly people? The next phrase, his faith. So believing him is called faith. This, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now here is the here is the inspired interpretation, the study Bible, the inspired footnotes of Psalm 32, starting in verse 6 of Romans 4. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one in whom God counts righteousness apart from works, And see what he does in verses 7 and 8? He quotes verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32. Blessed are the one, blessed are those whose lawful deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. He is saying, oh, David was really referring to that there's a blessing upon a person whom God accounts righteousness apart from works. And so, and it must be to the one who doesn't do works, but believes in the one that justifies the ungodly, and they come to God and say, could it be true that you would actually remove and cover all my sins and then put a stamp on me instead that say, you are counted not just sins against you, but you're counted righteous. When I was a new married person, I incurred a debt from taxes that I was surprised by, and it it scared me, and it was overwhelming. And I had some friends that helped me with a loan for quite a while to pay off that debt. And I remember the day in which they came to me, and I was paying it little by little. It felt like an insurmountable debt. These older friends, and they came to me and says, we forgive you of all your debt. It just, like, wiped it away. It just blew me away. Blew Molly and I away. We just couldn't believe it. Whew, the bliss, the, the relief, the burden lifted. Now, imagine that happening 
a debt that's just massive to you, but more than that, and by the way, not only do you have your debt removed, here's wealth and riches, here's a status of not even former debt, but now privilege. And that's what God does for us. And he's, he's, he's going back to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 should teach us that to the one that doesn't work, but believes in the God who justifies the ungodly, he counts Those who come to him humbly confessing. He counts us righteous and counts our sins not against us, but covers them. And so I want to sum up with this. Friends, you, Faith Church, and visitors who are non-Christians, if you're here, we all need our sins covered. It's a big deal. We need to uncover our sins in confession in order that God may cover them in forgiveness. We need to uncover our sins in order that God may cover them in forgiveness that He has provided. And friends, let me me make this clear. God does not do this forgiving on the basis of our confessing, but on the basis of Christ's death on the cross. We don't earn forgiveness by doing, being such good confessors. Oh, you, got, you get a, that would be a wage if it was works. We do it on the basis of what Jesus purchased on the cross. When we are saved, we are forgiven. When you come to Him and trust in Him for salvation... When you plead with him and say, would you save me? I cannot save myself. I ask that you would take away my sins. I want to be your child. I want to follow you. I've decided to follow you. I trust in you. I ask you to forgive my sins. There are many. When we are saved, we are forgiven all our sins. Our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. And we are declared innocent and righteous before God in our relationship before him forever. It will never, ever be shaken. We are hidden with Christ in God, the safest place in the universe. But as saved people, and this is where that we began our services each Sunday with a confession of sin. When we sin, our fellowship with God, not our relationship, we'll always be a child. We are counted righteous, we who are ungodly. But when we sin, our fellowship, our good relationship, our enjoyment of that relationship is damaged. And the avenue of restoration, God's avenue of restoration that he showed us is the gift of confessing our sins, which requires humility and trust in him in the name of Jesus Christ. We are not saved again each time we pray these prayers. But again, as Lee brought up up in the analogy of with his parents and others, we are restored into fellowship to the Father. And a mark of a saved person, if you're really saved, is confession. It's humility. It's trust in God. A mark of somebody who's just a fake Christian even though they thought they are, is one who never confesses their sins, thinks they're right with God all of the time, and ignores and is silent or is never convicted of their sin. 
I want to end with these. I said that this passage ends with two ways. There are two types of people. There's the wicked, verse 10 says, and many are the sorrows of the wicked. Eternal sorrows. They will pay the punishment of unforgiven, uncovered, that they covered up sin forever. And in this life, they won't enjoy any fellowship, power of God, the promises, the blessings, His Word, His people. And there is another people. There's the wicked and there's the righteous. Both types are sinners. Both. But one is counted guilty and one is counted not guilty. One will reap eternal sorrow. One begins to reap joy with new life within us and will reap eternal joy forever and ever at the right hand of the Father in complete and unbroken, joyful bliss and fellowship with Him, all because Jesus paid it all for Him. One seeks to cover their own sins, earn their wages, of which they never can. The other uncovers them in humble confession having trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Oh, I bid you to come to Christ again today. Come to Christ saved believers and sinner, a sinner and a sufferer, and confess. Maybe go home this, morning, this afternoon and, and take out a notebook and take a list and literally write down so that you can... And, maximize your joy of acknowledging your sin and then just taking up to God. There's nothing you can write on a paper that he can't forgive. There's nothing that you can utter to him in secret prayer to him that he will not cover in Christ if you come to him in humble, honest faith. And if you're here today and say, I don't know this forgiveness. I've never known this forgiveness. Welcome. Welcome. to Repent. Turn from your sins, acknowledge them to the Lord, ask Him to forgive you, He will forgive you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow Him, and you are His child. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to end with worship and response. God, please, please help us. Please feed us through Your Word that we would, by Your Holy Spirit, that we would not remain out of fellowship or, yeah, eternally out of fellowship. Oh God, teach us the joy of confession. Teach us the joy of your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.